Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? It's our Christmas special! It's Christmas! Put your clothes on, Dad! (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the last podcast (laughs) on the left, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Henry and Marcus. We have a very special episode for you today. We are going to be joined by a fellow. He's authored many, many books, but two of them are Blue Book. He did that with Dark Horse and Department of Truth, which I've heard Marcus mention many, many times. It's one of his ultimate favorites. It's my favorite book on the shelves right now. We're joined by James Tinian, the fourth. Thanks for being here, James. Dude. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And this is not just some cross-promotional opportunity, all right? (laughs) And anybody who says different, I will physically attack Mm. them in their home in front of their family. Cross-promotional opportunity, but no, James Tinian, who is who's become a good friend. You and Marcus, you guys are all friends. Yeah, we're friends and shit. Right? Is that or is that too far? No, no, no. We're friends. We're, we're friends. friends. Okay. Yeah. He came to my going away party in New York City. We're friends. Okay. Good, good, and good. And it's one of the more difficult people to become friends with, the comic book, I'm not going to say nerd, author, <laughs> because they they can oftentimes reject love. Let me put that on James first. James, is that true? Do comic book authors reject love or, or community? Oh, we're getting we're getting right into the real shit here. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. But uh, I try to keep my heart open to love uh, as often as I can. Single? <laughs> Oh, uh, yes. Wow, I have a chance. But uh, for those of you that don't know, James is one of the most talented artists in comic books right now. Writers, writers. writers, But I view view writers as artists. Uh, Okay, yes, but we must make the distinction if we're talking about comic books here. I forget. Also, yeah, why don't you draw? (laughs) Yeah, I'm right there. Yeah, great. I'm really, really bad. That's the main reason. (laughs) Do you draw out little pictures? Like when you write, I mean this, as a fellow writer, Writers of comic books. Yes. Because, like, the, the, so cross-promotional. We're talking about your new book, which is a series of anthology comics for Dark Horse called Blue Book, which is all about, like, tales of aliens. But is it is it just going to be UFOs and aliens, or is it going to be a wider scope as well? So the, like, the, the main thread in every issue is uh, are UFO stories. But then I'm running what I'm calling, like, true weird tales in the backups, which are, yes. that's where we're going and down all sorts of fun rabbit holes. I fucking so, love it. I fucking like, love it. And cryptids and hauntings and 
you know, uh, spontaneous human combustion, yes. all that. Anomalous <laughs> phenomena. Yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Wrap it up. And so and yeah. the, we are also promoting our very first comic book for Dark Horse, which is called Operation Sunshine that mm-hmm. Marcus and I have been working on. Kissel actually threw some good ideas in there, too. Absolutely. I'll yell a whole bunch of shit. Um, <laughs> but as a comic book writer, like, so this is a thing that Marcus and I, like, as we go, like, how do you properly translate your vision from like the page to an artist like do you just lean on the artist to run with it like is that the thing you're like where they say in movies like it's good casting does all the work where it's like essentially you if you have the right person it doesn't matter or do you draw out little things like we had one little sequence in our recent book that I drew out like a layer style like the the layout of like a layer like a map and so they could use it There have definitely been moments where I just don't have the words for what I'm trying to express and I need to like do a horrifying doodle that uh, tries to express it. But most of the time, like I I do try to lean on my artists quite a bit. Like what what I try to do is at the start of every project, I like I write like a crazy long document that's basically talking about like the vibes of the story and like the core ideas and all the things that influenced me and all of that. And then we have a bunch of back and forth conversations before we're even talking about the plot. And then like once, so once they're up and running, I'll sort of, you know, I'll set the emotional stage for the scene, but like page to page, my, my, uh, my panel descriptions are usually pretty, uh, pretty short. Like it's, you know, it's more like, here's the character, here's their emotions. This is what they're doing next. So this is what real writers do. I, I think that that's good. I suppose that makes sense because at some point you want them to create what they want to create um, because otherwise they're going to loathe you. If you dra- if you give too much detail, they're like, I'll fucking come up with this. It's fine. Calm well, down. Oh, well, yeah. that's a, I mean, th- but that's always the legend of like Alan Moore's writing in comic books, which Alan Moore is, you know, widely considered to be the greatest comic book writer of all time. His scripts, every single panel is painstakingly described down to every tiny little detail. Hmm. His comic book scripts for a 22 page comic will run well over 100 pages. But then if you're the artist, I feel like it's just paint by numbers. Yeah. That's not as fun. <laughs> what do you think? What do you I mean, think? I, oh, the fourth, <laughs> Mr. The Fourth? I, I think that like the, you know, when you're working with Alan Moore, you kind of like you're you're you know what you're getting into. Uh, but it's it is one of those things where the like the, like I've read some of those scripts and they're kind of stream of consciousness in this really, really wonderful way. Like, yes, he does break down like all of the little pieces, but he's also telling like the artist like what he's thinking about and all of that. It's almost like he's, you know, just dictating every thought he has about the comic and he's just like letting the artist absorb that. I'm mm. sure there are artists who hated that and I'm sure there are artists mm. who absolutely love that. Uh, but yeah, no, like the, that is one of the cool things about comics is that as long as the, you know, script is just a sort of letter to the artist where they get to absorb and interpret everything. Uh, like I like to lean on letting the artist interpret like as much as they can, because, you know, I got into this crazy business cause I just want a bunch of cool comic book art. And I yeah. like now yes. at the point where I just get to hire and like collaborate with, a bunch of my favorite artists. And then I just want to see them draw cool shit. 
Uh, have you ever? <laughs> so James, cool. Have you ever had to fire an artist because they're putting hidden penises in their work? Because I <laughs> this saw is this a great way to lead the conversation. I, I saw this with Disney. Uh, there was a person he circled all the penises. We know this story. Like, Look at all the dicks. Yeah, it's in, it's in, <laughs> in the coral and Little Mermaid. It's weird. See, I, I usually hire them for more work once I discover the hidden penises. Great, great. So. Well, I mean, speaking <laughs> of artists that you know that you get to work with, I mean, for your new book for uh, for Blue Book, like you get to work with Michael A. Von Oming uh, yeah. for to tell the Betty and Barney Hill story. And Ed, Ed, Oming's fucking amazing. He did Powers back in the nineties. Oh, I love Powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. So, like, did you request him specifically, or did, was there something oh. about his work? that you thought would was there something about his work that you thought like this is the guy to tell the Betty and Barney Hill story but before we get into that do you want to give a quick refresh Henry on what the Betty and Barney Hill story is Betty and Barney Hill they are an interracial couple I believe from I think upstate New York I might be incorrect they went in New Hampshire New Hampshire, New Hampshire. Uh, they were uh, one of the first cases of alien abduction that became widely known it's kind of where we saw the first like kind of besides, besides Whitley Strieber like descriptions of greys they were both uh, all of the traditional steps of an abduction were seen the first time in the Betty and Barney Hill story. Yeah. So what was it about Oming that you thought would be perfect for this? Well, like, honestly, it was very simple. I, w I had started working on Department of Truth and I, Which we'll I get to, trust me. Yeah. but like I had started becoming friendly with Oming because he was a big UFO nerd. And yeah. like in particular, he read uh, I think it was issue seven of DOT, which is where I dug into men in black and I kind of dealt with UFO lore as part of the larger ideas behind Department of Truth. And so we started going back and forth. And when I had the opportunities to, to like fund the uh, fund the Blue Book series, it was like, this is the person who I wanted to work with. And, you know, I originally thought we were going to try to do something like way further down the line, but I wanted to just like, you know, a few like wild hairs had like popped up in the like, you know, and I wanted to like try my hand at adapting a story rather than just like coming up with it. I wanted to work on something that was like functionally nonfiction. And then beyond yeah. that, I was like in digging more and more into like Fortean stories and like esoterica of all kinds for DOT. I kept noticing the fact that a lot of these stories aren't as accessible as they used to be. Like when I was coming up, when I was growing up, it was like right during the like X-Files boom in the early 90s. And mm -hmm. there were all of these like nonfiction books, nonfiction maybe in quotes with like in my middle school library about like yeah. UFO encounters. That's and how I got into it. It's all the same because we grow up with it during that time period. And then it was everywhere. The satanic yeah. panic actually allowed us to get a hold of all of this like cool material because it was supposed to be a warning for children and shit like that. But it was just all, I just, it was just books of pentagrams. Yeah. <laughs> and it was amazing. And it was just like, and it like all of that stuff seeped into me and it became so much of like, the creative force of like it made me fascinated in like in all things strange and i wanted to like tap into those original stories particularly the ones that you know i felt had uh, a real deep impact on kind of the folklore of like ufo like it, like yeah. everything ufos because that and, is that is such a keystone story the betty yeah. barding hill story now yeah. when you go to tell that story what is the direction of Blue Book? Is it sort of pulpy 
Like, or are you digging deep? Like, is it the opposite? Like, are you doing something where you're trying to portray the hum- humanity of what of what happened, or, or are you just going for like I'm telling a cool ass alien story? <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to strip it down pretty. Like, I, I wanted to tell the story as directly as I could. Um, and which is hard because it's something where it's a story that contradicts itself in like yeah. seven different places. But she and- saw the, the constellations. Well, oh, she yeah. saw the star maps. I want to talk <laughs> after he uh, finishes. I want to ask about the star maps. The star maps oh, yeah. is a point of contention, but please continue. But I mean, like, that's that's really what I wanted to tap into was the like the way the, the whole idea started was just at first, I just wanted to tell the early part like of their story, their initial encounter, which their their recounting of that initial encounter has always stayed pretty uh, like pretty firm. Like uh, it, like there are a couple of little things like does he get a gun at one point that differs in the, you know, he gets the gun in one of the one of the tellings and then he never uses the gun. Uh, but mm. then, like, you know, the. I wanted to like weave all of these threads together and see if uh, I could tell like a fairly linear story that just like, you know, that just kind of encapsulates the whole thing. And so we do it over uh, five issues, like 20 pages each. And it's the full life of mostly Betty Hill. Uh, yeah, because you know, uh, she went on to become an important figure on the like the UFO circuit. She yeah. did a lot of lectures. She was the one who really put the story forward because Barney Hill was if you do believe the circumstances of his illnesses, the fact that he was given these dick warts by oh. these aliens and that oh, yeah. he, his body was destroyed by whatever the hell it is they snaked up there to make him orgasm so hard in, in, a, in a way that was terrible. That's the mm-hmm. only thing. That's what really scares me about it. It's the super hard, painful orgasm that you are <laughs> supposed to do again and again and again while they're all staring at you. How do you go back to Betty? You now like now well. every single time you go back to go being with Betty, no. all you see is the gray with the little thin straw up your dick under your balls. It's, ah. Well, you can think about anything in your head. Just don't say it out loud. <laughs> you know that'll help. <laughs> that would help for sure. Dude, I, 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 that's you, a great piece of merch, though. I got abducted by aliens. All I got with these big old dick warts. I mean, that's save that it. Yeah. Save it. All right, yeah. it's actually past the holiday season. We're gonna wait for summer. Live from your grave. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast, your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You bet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep to get your free upgrade go to barkbox.com slash l-e-f-t my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's jackie zabrowski she shops all year thinking about 
her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at. See if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Um, so now that you dug in to the story, where yeah. do you stand on it? Well, specifically, what I want to ask you about is the star map, because that's one of the things yeah. that I always found fascinating about the Betty and Barney Hill story. You want to ro- roll it out for the people that don't remember who didn't do the fucking who homework? Didn't do the fucking homework. Yeah. Apparently, like Betty Hill was shown a star map while she was on the alien spaceship. It shows mm. like this is where we are. You know, you don't have basically them saying like you don't have a reference for where we are, but this is where we are. It's like being so they shown- were they were blowing the dome off of Barney's cock and they showed her a map. Yeah, man. <laughs> Because she was already well-serviced uh-huh. by Barney. Yeah. But she was able to later reproduce this map, and it turned out that the map t- pointed towards uh, Zeta Reticuli, I believe, yeah. was where it was it, where it pointed towards. Uh, and that's where people look at this story and say, well, there's some truth to this because this woman is not an astronomer. She does not know have any sort of a background experience in astronomy. But then, of course, Fucking Carl Sagan hmm. had to come out. <laughs> Whatever he didn't. Well, he, at least he was imaginative. He's not like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. He's such a. He's a reductivist. Yeah, and yeah. he's not like Joe Nickel, who's just a straight up dickhead. Yeah, who I still like because <laughs> of how big of a dickhead he is. Right, uh, but that what Carl Sagan said is that that map that Betty Hill drew could be pretty much placed anywhere. 
uh, yeah. on a star map and it could match up to something. What do you think? Do you oh, think boy. it's more Carl Sagan or do you think that maybe there's something to Betty's judgment now? I think, <laughs> I think, it, I think in all things like, you know, I'm, I'm a natural skeptic, but I have a deep fascination with all, all of this. So it's one of those things where I like, you know, like it is, it's compelling. It's a very compelling like piece of this. And there are, there are definitely, there are a handful of people. I forget the the names, like a handful of astronomers who have said that it's just like, Actually, it is very unlikely that she would get at this, uh, this exact. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I do think that the the Carl Sagan point is very compelling. Sure. Um, but it is, you know, the, like for me, so much of it is just in this. You know, it's about what happens when somebody encounters something that they just cannot explain, and the stories they tell from it, because yeah. it's just like that that element of it feels so powerful and so universal, and it's like. So many, and the fact that this story in it, in like uh, more than so many others, has burned itself into like our consciousness and the way we tell stories about aliens, like all of that deeply fascinates me. So it's like it's almost like I am open to everything happening as literally uh, as possible, but it's also it doesn't lose any of its fascination to me if it did. I feel like that's with the un- unpacking the esoteric. Well, reminds me a lot of, so I do Jungian therapy, which is some people say it doesn't, it's not helping. Yeah. Um, but I do Jungian therapy and partially it's like, you know, we talk about my day to day, but like, you know, when I have dreams, she's like, a nice session is done. <laughs> like we can rip through the dream for an hour, but there's something that feels like that when you unpack the esoteric is that it's like when you were searching for details from a dream that you had where yeah. you actually, this thing ex- happens to you. And then as you are slowly ruminating over it, you walk down alleyways, which I, I this is where the, the one sign, the cynical skeptic says like, oh, you're just making it up. Right. Which I do understand that. I understand that feeling. But the actual I feel like opens skeptic understands that your brain can examine something. It's like also like when you're tripping, like if you notice, if you ever seen something, I've never seen something photorealistically in front of me when I'm tripping. But I have seen things that then I then have chased down in my brain to sort of give shape to. And that seems like a lot of what happens in these types of people who experience a phenomenon. No, and I think the the dream comparison is so, so direct because it's just like when you have a dream and then the next day when you are telling the story of the dream, you are creating connections that 100% did not exist while you were having the dream. Yes. The dream was like, like it's a bunch of powerful emotions and like little moments that are set as scenes that then some is plot like a lot of its vibe it. it's like yeah. writing a comic book where it's it's exactly. mostly vibe mm-hmm. and then you're trying to explain vibe after the fact of it's that thing of like it, I was at my mom's house but it wasn't my mom's house but I knew that it was my mom's house exactly and it's just like and in that you sort of understand that the like the the aspect of storytelling that is just your brain making sense and making a connection uh like the fact that there is a part of your brain that can just tell you the information that this is your mom's house without like it looking like your mom's house without it like having any of the aspects of your mom's house but your brain makes that connection so powerfully that it is one of those things where it's just like you encountered a being and it's just like every description you give of the being is different and it's like, are they wearing little hats? Are they in little uniforms? <laughs> are they right. walking around right. naked? Well, are they like, do they, how many limbs do they have? And it's just like, it's different every single time you approach it because it's like when you're, 
like giving voice to something that does not have like any corporeal form qualities. Yeah. Yes. And of course, when you're at your mom's house, you tend to have massive orgasms. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's the that's really what Barney really taught great. us. Didn't I he? actually am physically unable to orgasm at home. Really? Isn't I that can't, something? You can't I don't do it. Huh? Tried? Well, that's one Have of that. You, you, you can I mean, write that down in a book, James. I sometimes, <laughs> and I'm not even joking about this. I've went and masturbated in the car. Oh, that's so much worse. That's illegal. Well, it's far worse. I put a blanket right. over. It's in the garage. Half well, time. anyway, <laughs> it's far worse. Well, James, speaking well, to our last point, you know, you're talking like I feel like like let's move on to, to Department of Truth here. Well, I just um, have one question though, James. Sure. When you're talking about something that's real, like with Barney and Betty Hill, at the very least, again, real to the to the degree it yeah. altered their entire life. Uh, did you get any pushback when you're talking about real life people? Uh, was anyone with the Betty or Barney Hill Institute? I don't know. <laughs> Where they're like, this is completely wrong like when you're dealing with someone because i mean you're telling their yeah. story did did anyone get upset uh so far no uh okay, like but i mean i think at this point the you know the the benefit with a story like betty and barney hill and this is also part of why i i gravitated towards that story it's a story that's been told in many different different many different places that including like newspapers and magazines that i got you know, my hands on the original, I think it was Look Magazine. Uh, yes. Interviews and like, you know, the, those magazines are fucking huge, by the way. Yeah, like, dude. I, I have a convenient my, magazine to come. <laughs> in my storage oh. unit, I have a pile of them. Someone sent us one to the last podcast a long time ago, and I have that fucking stack of these UFOs. Oh, yeah. I haven't gotten through because, again, they take up so much room. Yeah. yeah. I don't know where to put them. <laughs> All right. But, it, but I, I tried to make sure that I was drawing from many different sources. Like, I didn't have a single prime primary source. I did, you know, reference the, like I went and looked at, uh, you know, the interrupted journey, uh, was probably my favorite that I read, uh, like in, in the, in, uh, out of everything that I read, but I also made sure that like, I didn't pull directly from, uh, the transcripts, like none of that direct dialogue is in that just because I didn't want to step on the, like, step on the rights, but I wanted to capture the gist of it all. Mm, oh, sure. Because that has been retold many different times. So it's just like, it's something that, you know, I wanted to approach this the same way I would if I was telling a story about, you know, a real event, like not a, like a, a more traditionally, like journalistically, uh, you know, verifiable event that had happened in the 60s like i would pull from many sources i wouldn't pull from a single source so like like you're like the sandy hook issue you're gonna do is gonna be so fucking (laughs) like very carefully done but yet also interesting Uh well i don't know i mean that speaking of that point like department of truth uh the book that i Really, the the book that, or basically, I you know discovered your work just by seeing it on uh, on the shelves, and I, I read Department of Truth, and I got to the end of it, and my first thought was like, this guy knows his shit. Like this guy absolutely knows his shit. And then I like went to find you on Instagram. I was like, oh fuck, he already follows me. All right, great. Let's start talking about <laughs> like, this. Yeah, stuff. yeah, you're, you're gonna have to catch you up. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna catch you. He knows. Uh, but for oh, yeah. me, like you know, talking about dreams and all that, like for me, like I, I feel like Department of Truth is a book that's really about the nature of reality, uh, yeah. and what people make of it, and what governments make of it. Uh, and to give a bit of a synopsis of it, I hope I I can give a synopsis of this without getting too many spoilers because it's it's a book that unfolds so beautifully uh it's a book about conspiracy in which the conspiracy within the conspiracy unfolds so slowly and so fucking masterfully that you 
wonder whether this is actually reality. It's like basically a uh, the Department of Truth is a uh, department within the government uh, that basically handles conspiracy, uh, but handles conspiracy as if every conspiracy is actually real. Uh, But I also Mm -hmm. don't want to spoil why they're real or what what happens. That's some issue one stuff. So I don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like like basically flat earth is real, but flat earth is real because people believe that flat earth is real. Not because flat earth, not because the earth is actually flat. It's the idea that if enough people believe that the earth is flat, then the earth will become flat and the earth will have always been flat. And so there's a, someone has to fight against the belief. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's, it's anti the Tinkerbell syndrome. Yes. But where you have to do the, the concept that all of it, it's like that's just the your creation of it in, in your mind allows it to be objectively yeah. real. And the and the main character of the book is a, a guy who was a satanic panic child. Mm, like okay. who had been yes. in the satanic panic and and had and had it basically created a creature of his own. Like one of those a like, homunculus. Horror, a homunculus. Yeah, were created like through belief. His own sort of creature, Little Penny. That's yeah. how I. That's how I understand that, Little Penny. That is true, though. Yeah. But going through the and working on that style of project, because you know, like you look at Grant Morrison talks mm-hmm. about when he worked on the uh, when he was working on his like magnum opus, he was experiencing things because he was putting magic ritual like in his works and. Ball. Do you find when you're playing with your own ideas of objective reality? Like, like, I know that it's obviously it's a creative endeavor, but I feel like in your brain, you're still kind of putting yourself in the headspace of imagining this literally that what you imagine is real. Because I do believe that. I believe that anything that has been imagined at some point in some way, shape or in some fashion is real somewhere, someplace. Right. But how, did, Ooh, did it affect your fucking life? Nice. Um, but yeah, did, did, did it fuck with your life? Did it like make, did it have real world implications? I think it like the biggest real world implications is that it made me really fucking cynical. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I like, because I cover it from all angles. I cover it from the, like, you know, the weird esoterica um, and, you know, deep dives into you know, UFOs. I, we, we have a two parter about Bigfoot that I'm mm. very proud of. I, dude, um, I got I don't know if I ever told you, I fucking loved your Bigfoot dupe. Two-parter. It's like one of the. It's one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever read about Bigfoot in <laughs> oh. my life. It's He's like, a lonely character. Well, it's about oh, yeah. a Bigfoot hunter, and that's why it's great. Yeah. No. Right. And I wanted to like, and in digging into those stories, and especially the human stories of people's lives who are like can be destroyed when they like fully succumb uh, to an idea that's just outside the fabric of everyone's reality. Mm-hmm. But it's like. It was those stories and then also the stories of, you know, just the ways in which our government is like, you know, shaped and can like policed its own history and right. the way that history is told to us. And it's happened around the same time as like, you know, I I travel a lot internationally uh, for work now, just going to different conventions and I work with a lot of international artists and it really just sharpens the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, most of like history as taught to Americans was like a like propaganda effort for yeah. like, you know for and generations then, for, generation. for generations and then like when the Soviet Union ended then they stopped like you know it's like they took the wheel off the car and then it's still driving the car's still driving but nobody's like directing it in certain ways but it's uh 
you know, which is more like honestly more chaotic and more fucked up. Uh, so it's just the we need to bring back the NWO is what you're saying. Is that we <laughs> actually need? I say this all the time. We are in desperate need of the Illuminati. Yeah, yeah no, I, I mean that is like kind of the horrifying realization, which is like total like oh in a world where it's just like that no two people believe the same version of the world is a terrifying world. And it's right. just like, but it's very like, that is the most individualistic world that, that you can build where everyone is like fully manifested into themselves. It's just, it can't cohere. But then what you have to do to cohere a giant group of people is like, tell them a fictional story that inevitably like fucks a whole bunch of people over. And it's just like, it's terrifying. Well, I don't know what the yeah. fuck you're talking about. I'm celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ in seven days. <laughs> Five days? Oh, my lordy. What, uh, who is the hottest nerds out of all the cons you've been to? Jeez. Oh my God. This, is, this is what we're doing. This is, this is why this is okay. episode is out for everyone because it's for like we're gonna have our conversation. Yeah, I'll tell you, man. And then Kissel's asking the real questions that the real listener wants to know. Some of them comic guys, man. Well, I will say the the most attractive comic book creator is Jorge Jimenez, who draws drew Batman when I wrote Batman. Yes, and it's just like if you ever go to his Instagram, it's just like he'll dress up like Superman sometimes, and it's just like. Yeah, no, that that's that tracks. Like, Checks out. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Ben, I, I got that for you. Uh, James wrote Batman for how many years? Ten years? Yeah, Did about ten years. Yeah, he Batman. wrote Batman for favorite. ten years. You got any Batman questions for him? Yeah, I have a lot of Batman questions. Uh, of course. Oh, now, oh my God, James, is it, now, <laughs> is it possible? <laughs> this is how we're trying to reach him. Is we're, it trying possible? Bring him. we're trying to bring him in. Yeah. If Batman could go back in time and save his parents, would he do it? Oh boy. Uh, I mean, yes, but I think he would, but, but then, then, he would Batman. Batman. then it would create like some, you know, like weird time fragment that like would then come and start destroying the future. And then when he defeated that in the present, he would have to like it would go back and like he'd have to accept like his parents lost. But then he, he has, has to, to like, kill his own parents. He has to kill his parents. Shoot Thomas and Martha in the fucking face. Yeah. All right. Also, follow up question. That you won't. You won't pitch that. That's a good. That's a good multiverse. Tony Stark, Bruce Wayne. Who has more money? Oh, but Batman, because it's like Does he? Batman can put. Uh, I mean, like Batman funded like the Justice League Watchtower, and oh, I mean, yeah, I guess right. Tony Stark like like built a skyscraper in mm -hmm. the middle of Manhattan. But people do that in real life. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know, this like. It's a question I want to ask you to, to roll around your head because this is actually what I do. I actually have I brought this up several times on the show, and you, you are a person that it's like you've had, your head's been in this space for a long time. Why have we not seen an actual person attempt to be Batman? Like, why have we not? We seen, did in Seattle. No, but that was like low rent. It was like that's what I think about. <laughs> like, like, like a rich guy, yeah, like wanting to be Batman. Rich guys are not strong. I just feel like they could have <laughs> spent so much money to put. Look, Bezos is getting cut. Yeah. yeah, but he's tiny. He's evil. I know, but I don't really understand why we've not had one guy want to make these things real. Oh, yeah. No, I think about that a lot. I mean, I think it's mostly that they would die immediately. Yeah, you just like, get killed because you, you get yeah, shot, you just in, get the shot face. in the head. My final Batman yeah. question. Nipples or no nipples on the suit? Because I watched the George Clooney one, which is just it's whatever. But he got big old Huge. nipples. Yeah. But then the Keaton one. Very small nipples, and then the most recent Batman's no nipples at all. He's serious. So, what do we want? What do we want here? 
<laughs> I, I I accept bat nipples or no like I I like a Batman that changes his costume every now and then so sometimes yeah. he can get the nipples out and he, but he doesn't have to like okay can, so maybe if it's winter time he's got nipples we need yeah. them like culturally when yeah. we need Batman to have nipples they'll be there for us all right live from your grave. Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try Every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha and it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, 
they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like, I got this uh, Texas sage. It's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there, and it's going to thrive, and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So, I mean, speaking of Batman, like you, you wrote Batman for, for 10 years, you know, you wrote a, a ton of great runs, uh, but you know, this, like you left Batman this summer, like to, it was actually treated as a pretty big deal, like in the, uh, the comics industry, like, but it's, se- and it seems like the books that you write now, you know, the stuff like Department of Truth, uh, Nice House on the Left, uh, which is also fucking on the lake. Con- congratulations for the Eisner on that, by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, man, you're collecting them now. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. He's no, a no, two, got, two-time I've got a whole Eisner line of them. Two-time, two-time, two-time yeah. Eisner <laughs> Award winner. Uh, so it seems like the, the books that you write that are your own property are horror books. Like, yeah. was horror something that you just kind of wanted to do all along? Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I did my, like, you know, when I was in college, I did like my, uh, my minor was in film studies and I did a whole thing on like international horror movies. Like, like horror as a genre has like always really been really important to me. And part of it's because when I was a kid, it scared the shit out of me. Like I was, was like, I would walk down the horror aisle at Blockbuster, but I wouldn't make eye contact with any of the videos because then I would have horrifying nightmares. And it wasn't until I was in like late high school, early college that I realized that the nightmares I was having about those covers was much scarier than what was in mm-hmm. the movie. And then it was a year later that I realized that if I wrote down those, like if I structured and wrote that down and then turned it in a writing workshop, people enjoyed them. Well, that's interesting. Uh, so I didn't realize that you went to Glenn Maxwell University as well, where everyone gets a minor. Hello. Um, so <laughs> just lastly, oh my God. Just lastly, when it comes to Batman, because obviously now you're doing you're your own stuff. You're not even asking about the questions that we were no, asking about. No, I, he wants I, to, I, no, I gave, I opened the floodgates the Batman, and told him he could ask any Batman question you want. Here, I'm open. I'm open. You're, you're, you're I have a great Glenn Maxwell joke that gives me a question. Um, <laughs> When you're working for IP like that, how much do you, is it nice and refreshing that you get to create your own stuff? Like, cause I can yeah. imagine like you write something about Batman and then someone's like, that's not the way Batman would do it. And then you have to be like, fucking all right. Yeah, fine. you're right. Like, what, I mean, is it nice? Is it more liberating now? Oh, a hundred percent. Like there, there's no comparison. Like there's an obvious thrill getting to play with characters that, you know, the whole world loves and, you know, like th- there's, there is, you get to be like the Batman so guy. It's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that I'll always be grateful that I've had, I had that opportunity, but nothing is better than people connecting to something that you and like a couple of like you and your, like the artist friends that I have like created from whole cloth. Yeah. And, you know, and then you get to rely on 
your own instincts. And that, like, honestly, the the most gratifying thing in the last few years, and this was part of why I left Batman, is it's just I my independent book started out selling Batman uh, yeah. at a few key moments uh, during the year. And it's like that nice. was the moment that it was like I could sign on to, like, keep, continue my DC exclusive, continue, like, another few years writing Batman, or I can go all in. And I That's knew I so could cool. And I was just like, that was the moment I, I w- was ready to go all in. That's really so fucking cool. awesome when your work starts to outsell Batman. That's yeah. pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. Fucking cool. <laughs> and you and to be clear, it wasn't like outselling it every single month. It was but like, still, oh, no, I mean, to be in the league through the yeah. year, it was like, uh, you know, the sales went up. But that's uh, fucking awesome. Yeah. No, that's so cool. Was there any specific moments that you remember that you were told no? Like, I did you pitch something for Batman? Is there anything that you were like, you pitched it for Batman and they're like, no, like what was the one with? Oh, ba- like, oh yeah, the wasn't the big one was that Batman couldn't go to eat pussy. So that wasn't James. <laughs> that wasn't you, right? That was the Harley Quinn animated series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That then, like, someone at DC was stupid enough to let a like a real quote out into the world. Where it was, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like for me, the big shit that like a lot of times it was like the most minor. And uh, like it was like you would build a whole story around a character that you would find out like two issues into writing that you couldn't use that character. Or that, that character was suddenly going to be pulled out of your story halfway through and going to show up in another another writer's book. And that happened a lot when I especially when I was starting out, because it was like I ended my 10 years on Batman on the title Batman. But it's like I started out on a bunch of the side books focused oh. on like, you know, when you're doing like the fourth most important Batman title then the other three titles get to like, they're getting Joker right. they're getting Riddler yeah, you can't use oh, those you're guys. doing a lot of Mr. Zaz stories oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. and like and honestly the you know my 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 last Batman run I like you know they like I got a lot of attention because I was creating a lot of new characters for it but part of the reason I was doing that was so nobody could tell me I couldn't do things <laughs> yeah, with yeah, the yeah I'm just sick of dealing with IP that's great yeah, exactly. <laughs> you ended up creating to it like punchline is such a oh, yeah. great addition to the the Batman universe like it's Thank that, very, that's very cool yeah um James can I ask you all right so you write all these horror things trying to scare us so much what scares you yeah. Why are you so scared? What's so scared? <laughs> what's so scary about your brain? And it's going on inside of your fucking mind <laughs> that you decided to put it on us. Oh God! I mean, like, I, like Department of Truth is really the like the one that lays out all of the shit I'm most scared about in the world right now. Yeah. Like, that is the one. Yeah, thought where viruses. Like, thought viruses run amok is yeah. is one of those things that you can't because again you can't really talk about spoilers of the book, but it it it's true. Like we're watching. You know, not to get too into the weeds here, but I think that what we saw on on January 6th, 2021, it was the ultimate example of a LARP going real. Like, thing that was a thought. It was like a thought on the internet and that it then made itself real. And then the people that were a part of it barely understood that they had a thought virus. And that's the reason why when they went, they didn't tear the the building apart. They were just as confused that they got there as anybody else. And then Mm -hmm. once they arrived, they're taking pictures and acting like they're visiting because they didn't understand that they just tried to take over the government. Oh, I don't know. Yes. I mean, but there was bad actors. There was bad actors, right? That's the problem. The bad actors were writing everybody. All the morons. 
Like, and right now, the, a lot of the bad actors, they're not even particularly smart. They just like, they're good at fanning the flames where it's yeah, just like yeah. the, letting people lean into what they're naturally afraid of and all of this stuff and just dialing everything up to 11. And I mean, like, this is the thing that scares me so much about the modern world is we're living in a time where like bad ideas can spread faster than we understand the their impact on, on the world. And it's mm-hmm. just like, you can see... You know, there it is this like kind of mimetic, uh, like you know, uh, dangerous ideas spread very, very quickly in right. the current environment on the internet and all of this stuff. And it's just like you know, when I remember being a being a kid, and the internet seemed like this big, wonderful place that was going to like open all of these doors. Like, oh yeah, I went to Epcot. <laughs> I remember what yeah, Epcot like, sold as a line of horseshit. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's just like we've seen like, oh no, 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 if you open all of those doors, it's just chaos. And it's like, you know, but the like to shut all of those doors would be horrible now. So it's just like, where does that leave us? And it's like that tension is like at the heart of a lot of the different uh, books that I do. It's like all of my books are like all about the horror of just like living in the modern world and like feeling kind of powerless in the face of it, but still needing to like, you know, conduct yourself like, uh, you know, to, to some degree, like in a moral or like upstanding way. And it's just, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's also, you know, it's that, the idea of like the fear of the unknown, because uh, your your other book, uh, Nice House on the Lake, which again, I can't recommend enough. Like it's, you know, basically a group of friends get brought to a house on a lake um, by one of their other friends and then the world ends around them. Uh, and then they have to figure it out from there. Why are we here? Why did this person bring us here? What are we doing here? What's That's- the point of all this? It's fucking terrifying uh but <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like dreams those are like that's like again it's, it's a, a dream it's yeah. a dream i've had i've had those type of, types of scenarios it's very very scary yeah so is oh, that yeah. also working that the idea of like just the unknown part of oh, it? Like, yeah. what can the world what can happen to the world around you yeah and it's just yeah. the 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 fact that things that you don't understand can still have such huge impact on your life yeah. uh and and then the scarier thing is that understanding them does not change your ability to like you know <laughs> like make it better that's yeah. the most terrifying part of nice house is when they start to yeah. understand it and it doesn't matter yeah that's it yeah. well <laughs> that i think is kind of a that's a, a very big like center of the esoteric movement is just that concept of people are people are really afraid of that i think it's why they're afraid to get into the lines of thoughts that take you into these weird alleyways because they're really afraid that they'll get to the end of the understanding and still be fucked yeah right that you yeah. still go to on try to understand you try to to throw yourself into these scenarios and then mm-hmm. all right i did all this legwork and I still am nowhere. I still don't know. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Now I understand, but it doesn't change anything yeah. about me. And it's like, well, I feel like partially it's like that's the that's kind of more. How do you get out of an existential crisis like that? Is that you kind of have to let it change you. You do have to because to me in real life, the issue is, is that the understanding should change you. But we're all really holding on to our fucking paradigms. Right. Because I like there my fucking go. Pumas, man. There I got these new Pumas, pumas on. And oh. I like these. And so I can't give up the fucking paradigm because the paradigm yes, led to me fucking getting these cool ass Pumas. Well, and the more you learn, the more questions you have. I see you're from Milwaukee. Uh, one thing that's interesting, I went to school at Milwaukee. Did uh, Speaking of paradigm shifts, do you ever go to Landmark Lands? 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, I do. Now, this is one of the best places ever. It's a bowling alley. It has three fucking bars and an arcade. It is the greatest. We went, we went there after we did our show at the Pabst Theater. Oh, yes. shit. I love yes. that place. Yes. That was actually one of my favorite drinking so when experiences you're, in America. When you're, I love that place. When you're super stressed, you can always just go to Landmark Lens. Yeah. Oh, get yeah. a spotted cow. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, I lo- uh, love me some New Glarus Brewery. Oh, I love new. Players. I love spotted cow. Uh, but so, well, now we deal with because people ask us all the time, how do you cleanse your brain? Like yeah. when you are doing these processes and you're working these like these like heavy like what do you do? That's like throwaway. Like I'm going to talk about inside stories this week because I'm obsessed with this story, this show called Knife and Death. Knife and Death. <laughs> We're talking about it inside okay. stories today, but it's like it's knifing competitions with the guys from Forged and Fire. Right? Okay, that sounds and so fucking cool. It's, I love Fortune Fire, man. It's yeah. people who should not be physically moving on camera, <laughs> and now they're the center of the story. Like, they're, it's fantastic. But what do you oh do? God. Like, what do you? Bl- how do you blow off steam? Do you just like? Do you I get? Mean, a, do you have a big dick sucking machine, or are you like? <laughs> mm, uh, yeah. Does. So there's the big dick sucking machine, but I mean, yeah. so like. Honestly, the like this feels like such a cheap answer, but the real thing is, is the way I cleanse my system is I write these comic books. Yeah, like it is just like it's taking all of the abstract like anxiety in my head and it's just channeling it out into into projects that I think look beautiful and and all that. That like you know, it short circuits the part of my brain that like makes me think, oh, I should do something about some of these horrifying things, and it's just like I'm gonna make a horror comic book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You'd be but surprised. I feel like you're, you're bringing mm-hmm. more to the table, making art necessarily, unless you're like, a, I feel like there's, there's the difference between like, there are people that are artists, activists that do like straight up activism mixed with their art, but there's something. This to, activism like, term is getting a little bit overused, by the way. Sure, I, but see, you, I see a lot of people's profiles where they just add the word activist now. And I'm like, <laughs> I know you and you're not. Yes, we know that. Yeah, You, you do five tweets a day. That's not. A, <laughs> hey, man, that's activist? hard. To, that's hard on the thumbs. <laughs> I am you, like in the Iranian revolution. <laughs> I am on the front lines. But you could. I feel like having an art, a piece of art, tell these stories and these, like, talk about these issues on a more allegorical front really helps people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, that it, it allows you to, it, it kind of allows it to be wrapped around. You can wrap your head around it more easily and then you don't understand that you're learning lessons. Yeah. No, I, like, I, I think that that's exactly right. And, and I mean, like, I also just, you know, I'll like I'll watch a nice like animated movie or something like that. Like, yeah. you know, there you know, there are lots of ways to just sort of like connect to the nice mm. things. Like yeah. every now and then I'll build up like, you know, a lot of times what I read is a lot of like what I write. It's a lot of non nonfiction, esoteric shit and then like real messed up horror. And yeah. then every yeah. now and then I'll just let a stack of, you know, five YA comics build up that I've heard are really, really fucking good. And then I'll finally sit down and read them and I'll like have a very emotional day in a really cathartic, like beautiful, wonderful way. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. It's like, I so like, how, how does someone get to the heart of James Tinian? You said you were <laughs> single. How did someone get there? How does someone become the, how to become the, you know, your side piece? I, oh boy. Oh boy. How do they get in know, there? Man. How do they get in like, that big old head of yours? <laughs> You know what I mean? Look at your head. So much room in there. It, it Somebody is get quite in there. Large. Uh, <laughs> you look like a young Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. It is not a compliment. That. It is. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Well, just my final question. <laughs> I think it is. I, think I, I, I don't know if anyone wants to. Whatever. Okay. Um, allegorical. 
Uh, we can now learn through all these niche markets, like with Forged and Fire. You take a piece of raw steel and you make something out of it. And with when it comes, and you can learn a lot that's, of life lessons. That's alcohol. Yeah, that is Madden alchemy. football. You'll learn a lot of lessons. Stick to itiveness, and maybe you can win at the end. And comic books. You can teach a lot through your art form and things like that. So there is something really awesome about the niche markets now that people have found the best way for them to learn. And it's just, I think comic books are a fucking badass way. Yeah. To really understand the world, and um, I, I have you have you enjoyed the rise of comic books? Because even when we yeah. were growing up, it was still a little fringe, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now yeah. it's about you it's more mainstream than anything else for I being mean, a nerd, right? Like, yeah. You could, yeah. Oh no, no, I definitely was in the the days of yeah, getting beat up for having my X Men. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like comic books are uh, in the proper position in the zeitgeist as taken yeah, seriously I think, enough? I think they definitely have like. You know, they've risen up so much. And, you know, I like I say this as someone who works in like Western comics, but it's just like manga is really doing the heavy lifting there in terms of just mm. making uh, like making everyone read it. Uh, but it is something that like it's amazing. It's amazing to see uh, the breadth of what comics is like, because especially when when I started reading regularly, like, you know, in the early 2000s, like when I was in, you know, high school, like that was the that was when I like you couldn't sell a comic book that didn't have a superhero in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And now we're back in a world where, you know, comics are not one type of thing. It's not just one genre that just has to dominate everything. And I say mm -hmm. this with like great love for superhero comics, but it's just like I am so fucking thrilled that I could read comics like every week of the year and like read something legitimately great without having to pick up a single superhero comic like yeah. that the fact that we're getting that in this modern moment is really really fucking cool yeah i mean like, on, my, on my pull list right now i've got probably 10 15 books and one of them is a superhero comic and that's it and it's fucking awesome. great and the what superhero do you like uh, I like the new JSA run, or at least I'm starting on the new JSA run just because I love the Justice Society of America. Is so, that different than the Justice League? Yeah. Justice Society's yeah. older. It's got a... Yeah, so it's a fucking league and a society, you yeah, dummy. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> you dumbhead. I read the first issue and it was, yeah, it was pretty good. And then enough for me to read more. But that's the thing is that I keep putting superhero comics on my list and then dropping them after five issues because it's just sort of the same story getting told over and over again. But the cool thing about comics is that it's really like American comics. You mentioned like manga, like American comics, it feels like it's starting to finally catch up with the rest of the world. Because yeah. here in America, because of the comics code authority, the whole Frederick Wortham thing yeah. that we talked yeah, about so recently. Yeah, it's so weird, right? Yeah, that's how American comics came to be superhero-centric. The rest of the world didn't do that. Yeah, because mm. like, superhero comics were really used to, you, you could make really great propaganda out of them. Yeah, well, you could yep. make great propaganda, and you could also do a fun, cheesy story that kids would buy. But the rest yeah. of the world, they never got so, they didn't get as narrow as we did. Yeah, and it was never that it was only for kids. It yes. was like, there was never the idea that, com like, the medium only existed for children's stories. There was yeah. one time when they made Captain America a Nazi, and that seemed to be really on the nose. No one liked it. That, remember Everyone that? Everyone was, like, was mad. 2015, you were like, do we need Captain America to be Wasn't a Nazi? What do you, just Hydra, not necessarily a Nazi, he was Hydra. But isn't yeah, Hydra no, Nazis? Was, isn't that like, the... Hydra is Nazis. Yeah, Hydra Aren't is they? Nazis, but they also have Nazis. That's the thing that doesn't oh. that makes any sense. Like, Hydra is the Nazis in the Nazis, but they're not actually Having Nazis. Twitter flashbacks from 2016. <laughs> okay, well, we don't want to do that shit. Well, I also want to say, so we are also doing this to promote our new book. We're coming out next year called Operation Sunshine. It's a vampire heist Woo. comic yeah. book story. Um, and my question is, 
Well, do you have any advice for us? We are now on issue three. How do we get better? He's been giving <laughs> us advice since Soul Plumber. I know. Oh, I yeah. want more. Oh, I yeah. need it audibly. I want it audibly while I have him. Just oh, any quick oh. hits? Any quick hits yeah. you could say? Like, so right now it's like, you know, we're building because it's like I'm following, we're following a high structure, right? A yeah. high movie structure, but then we're going to try to rip it apart at the end. Good. So, that, what, I mean, honestly, that would be my be like, best advice is that you always want, like, there's like, there are a few key things that I try to go by is while you're writing it, if at a certain point, the characters don't feel like they're naturally moving in the direction of the like way, how you outline the plot, listen to the characters, don't listen to the old document. Yes. Like, you yes. Know, sometimes yeah. you have to throw out the roadmap and it's just like, it's a scary moment creatively, but it will always lead to something better creatively. Okay. Um, like some thing is killing the children. It was like, I, I had a very different series in mind. And then just Erica slaughter just kept not going in the direction that I was like writing mm. in. And I was like, all right, I'm following her. And then now it's like this big fucking series. So yes, like listen, listen to your characters is the big thing. And then the other thing is just like, you know, I like don't pull like, you know, and I, I have a feeling this isn't advice that you guys need, but it's just like, don't pull away from the most visceral thing. Like it is one of those things where it's just you like the lean into the most visceral emotion you can when it presents itself. Sometimes people kind of flinch away uh, from, yes. from those moments. And it's just like you want to land in the messy, like uncomfortable feelings because mm. those are the ones that, you know, I think especially comic readers, especially when they've only read superhero comics and stuff like that, when they finally like, you know, go outside of it and then they're like presented with an uncomfortable feeling that they've never gotten from fiction before, it opens their brain. And it, it like in this really, really powerful way that like, you know, it's the reason why so many people are so fond of like the classic Vertigo comics. It's because they would read all the superhero stuff. And then sometime when they were a teenager, they picked up the first book that just challenged them. And it's just like the, those readers will remember the challenge for the rest of their life. Like, That's so cool. Like, yeah, That's no, great advice. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. James Dinian, the fourth, the fourth. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. It's an honor to speak with you and hope to see you. 2023. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, James also has a, he wrote a story for the last comic book on the left. Yeah, bro. Uh, that's yeah. going to be coming out in yep. February. Bro, bro. Yeah. Believe. Yeah. We yeah. got that. That's yeah. coming out soon. We got the last thank comic you book on the left. For doing I worked with of Tyler Boss on that, who did a fucking amazing job. He did. Awesome. Yeah. It's real good. And it's I also, real fucking good. I, I did get uh, some advanced issues of uh, Blue Book, and it's fucking great. When it comes out, everybody pick it up. You're going to uh, love it. You're going to absolutely adore this book. It's so oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Live from your grave. All right, everyone. There it was our conversation with James Tinian. He's smart. Yes, he smart. smart. Well, thank you all so much for supporting the show, and thank you so much for listening. And if you are in the LA area, come and check out me, Ed Larson. We're hosting a classy night out pre New Year's Eve party, so that you can be sick for the day that New Year's Eve happens. That's going to be fine because then you get to build back up. You add that layer of reality to that honestly amateur night. So December 30th, uh, check it out. Uh, get tickets at the pack website. We're going to have a whole lot of shenanigans. We got all of them. You know, like my sister's going to be there. Some other you know, people, we're going to yell at you. And it's going to be fun. Wear a suit or not. Just cover, just cover yourself. Uh, do we have anything else, guys? No, no, man. Do they even know it's Christmas time at all? <sighs> all right. Hail yourselves, everyone. <laughs> Hail Satan. Hail again. Magoostalations.
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod.